Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But no, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose and took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all, so that they all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything. talking about one of the most famous miracles our Lord Jesus Christ performed, which was the healing of the paralytic man. And I think what makes the miracle stick out sort of in our minds is not just the healing, right? He healed a lot of people a lot of times, but what makes this one interesting or unique is that it directly involved the help of this man's friends in order for them to achieve like forgiveness and to achieve healing. So the message that I think God is sending us this morning is that it is our role as friends to help our friends find forgiveness, bring them to Christ who has the authority to forgive sins. This is the message of the story of the paralytic man whose friends lowered them like from a roof when he couldn't get in by any other means. St. Mark tells us that it happens in Capernaum. St. Peter actually lived there, and, and St. Mark, who gets his information from St. Peter, so that's why it's, it's written in St. Mark's Gospel that it's in Capernaum. And you can imagine the, the, like the scene. Our Lord Jesus Christ is uh, giving a sermon, and it's completely full, it's packed, 
And all of a sudden, a man is being lowered from the roof and everyone sees him coming in and he's interrupting the sermon. And they're all expecting our Lord Jesus Christ to say, you know what, this guy put in a lot of effort, I'm going to heal him. But the first thing he says to him is, friend, your sins are forgiven. For sure it's going to surprise the guys on the roof. You can imagine them, they're on the roof, trying to hear the conversation between their friend and Christ. And then they're listening, and he says, your sins are forgiven. He's like, your sins are forgiven? We, we did all this stuff, we tried to separate the crowd, we tried to get in through the roof so that our friend could be healed. We want him to be healed. And of course it startled all the Jewish leaders in the audience. St. Luke, who also mentions this miracle, tells us that they weren't just locals, but they had become, come from every village in Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. But the religious leaders didn't come to like get a blessing from Jesus. They came to catch him in some sort of heresy, some sort of mistake, some sort of thing that they can accuse him later. And actually, our Lord Jesus Christ gave them exactly what they wanted. His words were deliberately calculated. They were done on purpose to create a dilemma for the scribes and Pharisees so that they had to admit that our Lord Jesus Christ at least claimed to be God in human flesh. Because he said to him, your sins are forgiven. When he says your sins are forgiven, there's a couple of lessons for us that it teaches us. First of all is that forgiveness of sin is the main need of every one of us. Forgiveness of sin is the main need of every one of us. This man is lying helplessly in front of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can imagine in that day, there aren't wheelchairs. There is no American Disabilities Act. You know, there's nothing for him to do. There's no support except to beg. He was dependent on his friends to carry him anywhere he needed to go. He couldn't even, if you can imagine, dress himself or take care of himself in even the simplest ways. So when you look at the guy, you think to yourself, the main need of this man is physical healing. But our Lord Jesus Christ says first to him, your sins are forgiven. To heal the man's body would have made his life more comfortable. But without healing his soul, he would have died and faced God's judgment and been accused. His main need was forgiveness of sin, not physical healing. Other people could look at the guy and say, you know what? His main need is emotional healing. Imagine what he feels like, totally dependent on others for everything that he does, lying in the streets begging every day. We need to help him see that he's a worthwhile human being, created in the image of God. But our Lord Jesus Christ didn't say, you know, friend, I want you to feel good about yourself. He said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Other people may have looked at him and said, you know what this guy needs? Economic, educational help. Let's give him food stamps, give him government health care, give him job training, so that he can make something of himself. But he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Forgiveness of sins is not just a small option. Not something kind of added in at the end. If the Bible's passages about eternal judgment are true, then forgiveness of sin is the main need of every single one of us. People don't need their outside circumstances fixed. They don't primarily need their emotional problems resolved. They don't primarily need economic help. People need to know with assurance, 
from God that their sins are forgiven. All those other needs are secondary. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in another part of the Gospel, He teaches us something. He says, What profit is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? There's something much more important than having a healthy body and having plenty of money. And that would be to having the forgiveness of our sins. Sometimes when we have a severe problem, a health problem, an emotional problem, a family problem, a financial catastrophe, some of those things can be the best thing in the world for us. Later, this man, this paralyzed man, would have looked back on his paralysis and he would have thanked God. Because if he had never been paralyzed, he would have never begged his friends to carry him to Christ. And he would have never heard the words, your sins are forgiven. It's exactly like what David says in the Psalms. He says, before I was afflicted and I went astray, but now I keep your word. The other thing we learn is that forgiveness of sin is such a pressing need that we should do all that we can to bring our friends to Christ. Probably these four friends were motivated by more than their friend's physical need. They were motivated by how much they loved him. But their, action, their actions, getting around in this crowd and letting the paralytic down through the roof is an illustration of how we need to act with our friends to bring them to Christ. Think about some of the qualities that these four men had. First thing is that they were creative. You know, you think about, like, they're going through the door, they see the door, it's closed, they can't get through, there's tons of people. You know, probably one of them says, hey, you know what, why not the roof? Why don't we try the roof? The homes of that day, they usually had, like, a flat roof, and there was kind of, like, some straw and stuff. You can take it off fairly easily. But they had this sort of philosophy that where there's a will, there's a way. If there was a closed door, they could find an open roof. If you can't reach somebody one way, I can try another. The other thing that they had, that sometimes we lack with our friends, and with our family, and with our neighbors, a sense of urgency. I mean, I think a reasonable thing for the friends to say was, why not wait till the sermon is over? Once the sermon is over, people are going to leave. And when people leave, there'll be less people, and we can just walk in. It makes more sense for us to wait. Let's just be patient. Or we can stay tomorrow. You know, he might be staying for a couple of days. We could catch him tomorrow when maybe there's less people, and be much easier for us to meet Christ. And we could even say, you know what, this must be the will of God. He wouldn't have made it so hard for us if it was God's will for this man to be healed today. But these men knew that their friend needed help. And they didn't let the crowd stop them. We can't, of course, force the gospel on people or force people's lives to change. But we should communicate urgency in eternal matters and be urgent with ourselves about our eternity. Another quality that the, the four men had was the willingness to sacrifice. If you want to reach people for Christ, even people who are close to us, I have to sacrifice material things including a perfect house. This man's house was ruined. This man's house was ruined, but you don't see anywhere in the gospel him complaining that his roof was broken. He viewed it maybe as a sacrifice to God in order to have this man forgiven of sins and healed. The group had also persistence. They were persistent. If we try one thing and it doesn't work, we try another thing. They also had the idea of a team effort. 
It took four men to get one person down to see Christ. It's great when several of us can work together in bringing a common friend to the Lord. It almost always takes more than one. The other lesson that we have in this event is a lesson about Christ Himself, that only our Lord Jesus Christ has authority to forgive sins. When He says, your sins are forgiven, when He leads by saying, your, your sins are forgiven, He sets up sort of a dilemma for all of the religious leaders who are listening. He knew that they were going to grumble, and they were going to say, you know what, who can forgive sins? Only God forgives sins. But when He spoke His word and He healed the man, it was obvious that God's power was present. If our Lord Jesus Christ was speaking blasphemy, He would not have been able to heal him. So our Lord Jesus Christ used this miracle to prove His claim of authority to forgive sins. His power over bodily sickness and spiritual sickness. From God's perspective, you know, it's easier, or excuse me, it's harder to forgive sins than to heal. Healing is easy. But the forgiveness of sins is difficult. Forgiveness of sins is reserved only for God. There's a contrast then between the Pharisees and the four men who brought their friend to Jesus. The Pharisees had no, need, no sense of their own spiritual need. They were there as critics for the purpose of finding fault with Christ. They didn't have concern for the paralytic man. They didn't feel great joy when our Lord Jesus Christ healed him. And even despite viewing the miracle and seeing the miracle, they, were, they left critical. They left ready to take the charge of blasphemy back to all of their friends. But the four men came as seekers. They realized that they had a friend with a major problem that only our Lord Jesus Christ could fix. And even though they encountered obstacles that would have stopped most of us, they persevered. Both sets of men saw the same events. Both of them saw the same miracle. But because of their pride and because of their sort of critical spirit, the Pharisees went away empty. In contrast, because the four men were needy and came in faith, they went away rejoicing with their friend that his sins were forgiven, that his body was healed. It's actually a great providence that this gospel is read to us today when we're praying our first liturgy in our new home. Because many of the church fathers contemplate on these events and say that the four men represent the church. The four men work diligently to present their diseased friend to Christ. And the church does the same thing. We all come into the church with wounds, with diseases, with problems. And the church carries all of us to Christ. Our mother, the church, carries us to Christ through the Eucharist, through the rest of the sacraments, so that He can forgive and give us forgiveness and give us healing. Keep in mind, though, we are the church. We have to be the ones willing to bring those around us, those in our family, our friends, our fellow church members, outsiders, to Christ. We have to be the ones stopping at nothing until our wounded brother or sister receives healing. We have to be the ones willing to lift them up when they can't do anything themselves. I hope that we can remember this gospel as we begin our ministry here in the church. We have to think every day when we step into this place, 
or anytime we do anything in His name, I'm like one of those four friends, bringing someone to Christ. And if I'm not, am I like one of the Pharisees? You remember, what were the Pharisees doing in that room? Blocking the way, right? They were all in the crowd, so then the paralytic man couldn't come. They were blocking the way to healing. The Pharisees thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were guarding their faith. They thought they were keeping it pure. But they were actually blocking the way to Christ. I need to ask myself, do I block the way to Christ for others? By being unfriendly, by being unhelpful, by being selfish, by being judgmental, by being exclusive, by living a life inconsistent with the faith I claim to follow. May God make this church and each and every one of us like these four friends, bringing our afflicted brothers and sisters to Christ, the true physician and the healer of our souls. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.